Well, let's do that. Uh, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. This is, I think, my favorite chapter in Colossians. It's hard. Chapter 1 is pretty good, too. Uh, chapter 2 is not bad. Um, Okay, well, it'll be, it'll be my favorite for today at least. So Colossians chapter 3, let me start the PowerPoint for you. And uh, we are going to get into the part of Colossians that, that really, um, well, let me start this because, get that going first. There we go. All right. Awesome. Okay. So this is the part of Colossians where after verse after verse after verse of this is Jesus and who's, this is who he is and this is what he's done and, 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 and you ought to be as excited about him as, as, as I'm excited, Paul says, as it were. And, and all this is going on and, and you get to the point that you say, okay, where's this going, Paul? What, like, what, what's the point of all this? Cause we know that, that the goal of the Christian life is, is to know Christ and to make him known and to, to worship him and to know him, and yet at some point we have to translate that that um, those thoughts about Christ, we have to translate that into action that is driven by Christ, if I can say it like that. And so you'll, you'll see in a lot of Paul's letters uh, this pattern, right? He starts off, and the first couple of chapters, the first couple of verses are reminding us of what is the gospel and who is Jesus and why are we here and what's, what's Christianity all about? And then usually at some point he'll get to a place, uh, I call them the hinges of the, the books, where he says, okay, so what? What do we do with this? And so we are going to jump into the trenches of life today asking the question, how then should we live in light of what we've learned in Colossians thus far? Okay, so let's uh, let's jump in and uh, we'll we'll get after it here. You'll remember chapter one is all about the person and work of Jesus, right? Who he is and what he's done to reconcile people to God, and and uh, you know why he is great and why we ought to think of him as such. And uh, remember that that key verse that we see in chapter one, uh, verse uh, eighteen. Uh, Paul reminds us, I'm telling you all this because he desires that Jesus would have first place in every area of life. And there it is. That, that's the point of the letter in the nutshell, that, that, that we would make Christ to have first place in every area of life. And, and what that means very practically is that Jesus, far from being this you know, thing we only think about on, on Sunday or something that we might recollect in a, in a worship playlist that we're listening to, that, that Jesus himself would have a functional authority in every realm of our life. What he says, who he is, how he lives, what he does would be the, the, the divine navigational system of our life that we would think often about him and, and his word and his ways. And, and those realities are what navigate us through how we do life. And we just did a whole bunch of prayer requests, right? I mean, how do you, how do you, what do you say to somebody who's got terminal cancer? How do you walk with somebody in chronic pain? Uh, what, what approach do you take to somebody, you know, your, your relative that doesn't know Christ? Um, how do we how do we do that? And and, and a hundred other things that we're going to face this next week, and, and that's where this 
chapter is so important because Paul's going to say, okay, so now what do we do with all of this? In chapter 2, we saw last time, uh, that's where he gets into uh, really the occasion of the letter, that there were false teachers that were bringing teachings that were distracting others from Christ. And that, that's, you know, maybe, maybe it's a little bit of Judaism, maybe it's a little Gnostic heresy, but whatever it is, it's distracting people from Christ and his word, and that's what makes it categorically uh, an erroneous uh, teaching. So he says, don't let anybody act as your judge. Um, you just follow Christ. You, you do what you know is right. And so now, chapter 3, verse 1, if you're looking at your Bible with me, therefore... And this, this is really the hinge, right? We, we've had a couple of therefores before. Look back at chapter 2, verse 6, right? Christ is this, Christ is that. He's done all these great things. Chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Right? That was the first therefore. In light of who Jesus is, you've received Him, now walk in Him. And I know that's real Sunday school language there, but what does it mean... What does it mean to walk in Christ? Sounds good, right? But what does it mean? Well, we're going to talk about what that means today. And then he builds that out in terms of the false teachers, and he's going to say it again. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, here's an action step, don't let anyone act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Those are just shadows, but the substance belongs to Christ. So there's an action step, right? Usually when we see therefores, that word therefore, in the New Testament, there's an action step that's coming. There's a what I need to do something in light of what I'm going to read. And so we see another one of those in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Okay, you ready? So there's there's the therefore, right? There's the hinge. <laughs> there it goes. See, therefore equals the hinge, right? That's That's the hinge of the book. It's turning on that phrase... And it's leading to, when I see the therefore, what are we to expect after the therefore? Action steps, right? Action steps. This is where we, we, we pull on our, our Christian uh, soldier boots and we're going we're gonna to go in and we're going to do something, okay? So, so look at the first thing. If you've been raised up with Christ, and he's talked about that, right? When we come to Christ, we're united with him in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. So we're united to him. We've been raised up with Christ uh, that's that's Paul in Romans, that, that Romans 6 language there. We've been raised up with Christ. So what are we to do now? What's he say? Keep seeking the things above or seek the things above. Now, now, now here's, here's the hardest question to answer in this section, okay? The hardest question to me is to answer this question what exactly are the things above? Right? I mean, look back at the text. Uh, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. 
Right? So, so what are these things above? That's the first sort of exegetical question, the, the interpretive question we have to answer. If we're going to set our minds on something, if we're going to seek something, we first need to ask the question, well, what is it? What are we seeking? So, so I'll turn to the studio audience here now. Uh, what, what are the things above? What would you say, <coughs> excuse me, what would you say the things above are? Yes. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, look back at the text. I mean, it helps us here, right? Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep <coughs> seeking the things above where Christ is, right? So whatever those things above are, they're with him, right? Because he's, he's there, and these are the things above. So there's, a, there's some sort of correlation between Christ and the things above. Absolutely, because that, that's him. So build that out now. Okay, it might be our identity in Christ, right? In fact, he just alluded to that, right? If you've been raised up with Christ, that means that's a, a reference to being united to Christ, our identity. Okay, that would be good. Yeah, Grant? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah, because just back in chapter 2, what did he say? He said, um, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. Okay, so Christ is is the treasure trove of all that we need, right? So we go to him to know, well, how do we grow and how do we think about this? Okay, so there's knowledge available there. There's wisdom available there. Okay, good. What else? Yeah. Okay, the character of Christ. That's right. And and, and if we're going to... Uh, well, and actually, you're, um, if you just keep reading... As is so often the case in the Bible, you sit there for an hour going, what does this mean? What does this mean? And we read a couple of verses later and we go, oh, if I just kept reading, it, it answered the question. So look at this. Uh, so he talks about set your mind on things above, seek the things above, right? And, and then look at this, verse 5. Therefore, there's another therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. And then he's going to give a list. Paul loves lists. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. And then he, he goes on <coughs> in verse 8. Uh, put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Don't lie to one another. Put off the old self. Right? So, so what, what is that? Those are things that are not in alignment with Christ and his character and doctrine, right? So, so here, here's why I think Christians trip over this verse because they go i'm gonna set my mind on the things above yeah and then they wake up monday morning and they have no clue what that even means and then we think things above that's heaven what's heaven like that's harps and halos that's streets of gold well is that what i'm supposed to think about all the time right so so we have these wrong views about heaven we have these Right, but it's not. It's it's all. Around. Paul would not say um, Christ is this. Christ is this. Christ, you know, Christ is it. And then get to chapter three and say that that we're supposed to set our minds on something other than Christ. That just doesn't make any sense, does it? So th- this is fleshing out the idea that we are to seek the things above, set our minds on the things above, and and those things above are all in some way connected to the person and work of Christ himself. Does that make sense? Okay, you're not giving me a lot of confidence here with your feedback. So does that make sense or are you still confused? Okay. 
And he's going to get very practical here in case we missed it. He's not going to say, set your mind on things above, now go figure that out, and then move on to something else. He's going to say, set your minds on things above, keep seeking, right? And then he's going to tell us exactly how we do that in the rest of the chapter, and really the rest of the book. So, so that's, that's what we need to do. So let's pick it up on the outline here. Since you've been raised with Christ, keep striving after the things consistent with him. And, and that would be, if, if we want to summarize everything we just said, I think the things above are the things that are consistent with Christ. His person, his work, his character, his knowledge, his wisdom. All those things come back to that. Now notice <coughs> that that is contrasted with the things of the world. And I think, again, I think sometimes we read this and we think, um, set my mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Um, that's a real challenge, isn't it? You know, there's, there's two ways you can read that. There are worldly things that are not wrong. Um, you know, I'm watching the TV and, and commercial comes on for the new Ford F-150, Texas edition, 2022. And those are hard to come by, I guess, with all the auto manufacturing delays and whatnot. And, and, uh, and I'm there, and, and uh, I'm, I'm watching the commercial, and I think, man, that'd be really nice. And, and then, you know, in the next scene, they're pulling a ski boat, and the family's jumping in the truck, and they're all happy. They're going to the lake. Hang on a second here. All right, very good. And they're going to the lake, and, and the, look... You know, the kids are all in the back seat and they're happy and they're getting along. And I'm going, man, that would be great, right? We're going to the lake and I've got a ski boat. We're going to spend a day wakeboarding all day and the kids are happy and the wife's happy. And, and all of a sudden I'm salivating in front of my TV because this is, uh, this is something I want to get, right? And we say, well, th- th- is there anything wrong with getting a new truck? No, of course not. But, but I can set my mind on the things of the world. <clears throat> and that distracts me then from what? Setting my mind on the things above, right? So, so we're in the world and not of the world, right? You know, buy a Ford truck, get a ski boat, have a great day at the lake. Nothing wrong with that. But don't set your mind on those things as what dominates your life. And that is hard, isn't it? We're a very prosperous nation. We're very prosperous people. And and, and we have all sorts of luxuries and nice things and comforts and uh, hobbies and entertainments and, and, right? And we praise the Lord for that. But it's so easy to be consumed by those things and not consumed by our Savior and His program for our life. So I, th- I think that's, that's one level that we read, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. This is the be careful what we set our hearts on kind of thing. And, um, well, I won't, I won't go there. That's too personal. <laughs> I was going to ask you a question. Um, but, but there's another level. And that is, it's not just the stuff in the world that we need to be careful not to, to set our minds on. It's the ways of the world. And that's really where Paul goes here. Because when he's contrasting the things above with things that are on the earth, he's really talking about 
how we're going to live. And when he gets into this list, look back at verse 5, of considering the members of your, what kind of body? Say it. Earthly body. See, that makes us think back to things above, things that are on the earth, right? There's the contrast. He's saying, let me tell you now about the things that are on the earth. It's a way of living. It's things like what? Immorality and purity and passion and evil desire and disobedience and malice and anger, right? So it's the ways of the world as well as the things in the world that we need to be careful in terms of guarding our hearts against. Okay, you with me on that? So let's be careful about our stuff. Let's be careful about entertainment. Let's be careful about hobbies. Let's be careful about all these things that surround us. But let's even be more import, more careful to not get caught up in a way of living in our hearts that's inconsistent with the character of Christ. Okay? Now, how are we going to do that? Because I'm being really, really honest. You and I know that we, all of you would agree with this. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to not get caught up in the world, Pastor Keith, and I'm going to be careful to not be like the world. That, 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 that's all of our goals. But, but you and I both know that's very difficult to do. And, and before you know it, it's like we're, do, we're going the wrong direction. It's just, it's just a constant fight. So how do we do that? He gives us a couple of tips here. Look at verse 3. He says um, <coughs> in 2, Set your minds on the things above, not on things that are on the earth. What's the next word in verse 3? Four. That gives us a reason. Right? So how are we, how are we going to maintain setting our minds on things above and not on things on the earth? He's going to give us some helps here. Verse 3 gives us the helps. For you have died. Are you encouraged? You're dead. Do you feel better? You say, how's that supposed to make me feel better? Because you and I have died. Listen to this. And now your life is hidden. Where? With Christ in God. So, so, and, and this reminds us a little bit <coughs> of, of Corinthians language, right? About, about, um, uh, you know, our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit and our identity and whatnot. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, you and I, in terms of our identity and ourselves, are dead. Our old self, our old person that was into the world and like the world when we came to christ that person that old keith died and now i have a new life that is in christ and it's hidden and and locked up and united with him in god and, and so what does paul say in corinthians you are not your own and neither am I. That who we are and our identity as persons and even our very life has been united with Christ. And what that means is we ought to live like that's true. We ought to live consistent with that reality. And, and this is why we have to be very careful when we start thinking about what we deserve and our rights and what we think we ought to have freedom to do because we do not have a right or a freedom to do anything or live in a way 
that is outside of the boundaries of our life and identity in Christ. We ought to live for Him. <clears throat> okay, so think about both your spiritual past. So look backward, right? You've died, you have a new life, hidden with Christ. But also, not just looking backward, look at this. He says, uh, oh, thank you, thank you. Yes, I'm still got that, that dry throat here. When I get wound up, I lose my voice. So I'm not going to stop getting wound up, but I may have to pause to take a drink every now and then. So, okay, so think about your, your spiritual past. You've died, you've been united to Christ, your life is hidden with God. Okay, but he also says, don't just look backward, also look forward. Verse 4, when Christ, I love this, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Where's your life now? It's in Christ, but where is it? According to verse 3. It's hidden with him in God, right? But one day... I'm going to get through this. One day, when he comes back, what's going to happen to your life then? It's going to be what? Revealed with him. So, and I, what is that even going to be like? I don't know, but it's going to be awesome. Right? When that spiritual life that is now hidden with Christ, veiled in our bodies that are still sinful, when that changes... Um, what's the hymn say? What a day of rejoicing that will be, right? Um, think about Lacey's grandmother. I mean, rejoicing in, in, in the life that God gave her in Christ in this life, but now she's reveling in that and experiencing that in, in all its fullness. And all of us that have had loved ones that have died in Christ, they, they know that. So, so this is the motivation, right? When you get up tomorrow morning and you're like, yeah, Pastor Keith was talking about me living a certain way. What was that he was talking about? Here's what you do. You look backward. I died. My old self died, which means I can't live the same way I always lived. i got to live differently because now my life is united to him. It's hidden with Christ and God. So that's motivation number one. Then there's motivation number two, which says Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, my life in him will be revealed in all its fullness, in all its glory, in all its connection with him. And I don't want that to be the first moment that I start living like that's true. I want to start living today like that's true. That's your motivation. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. I'll calm down. Um, all right, so therefore, there's our therefore again. How do we do that? And he, notice he doesn't say, verse 5, sell the bass boat. Dump all 78 pairs of shoes you have in your closet. He, he, he doesn't say, you know, disconnect from the world and join a monastery. He, he doesn't go after the stuff, although we need to do that. Say that again. Although we need to be careful of that, right? I'm not saying get rid of your wardrobe, your basket, necessarily. But what he says is, target your heart as the first area of renovation. That's what he's going to say. Target your heart as the first area of renovation. Because here, here's why. When you and I have a heart that is growing to be more like Christ, what's that going to do? 
That's going to help us to be careful about the world, isn't it? It's going to help us be careful about entertainment and, and stuff and what we buy and what we entertain ourselves with, right? So we start with our heart first, and that's the main endeavor of the Christian life, is to pursue a character, to pursue a heart that is like Jesus. And he's going to give here step-by-step instructions on how you do this. How do we live in this new life? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's big idea number one. Pursue a life of personal purity. Pursue a life of personal purity. Think about yourself now as being truly dead to old habits. Verse 5, therefore, consider. Do you like to underline and highlight words? That's a good one to do. (coughs) Consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Now just stop right there. This is why so much of our efforts to change fail. You you guys tell me if I'm wrong on this. I think a lot of Christians say, I know this is wrong and I need to change it. So I'm going to try really hard to change it. Okay, That's what we do, right? But that's not where we start. We start not by saying that's wrong and I need to change it. We start by saying, I'm dead. I am dead to all these things that I see in my life that are out of alignment with Christ. When I trusted Him, I died. I was buried, and then I was raised to walk in newness of life with Him. So I am dead to those things that I used to do, that I may still be struggling to do, and that's where we start. We, we start, listen, listen guys, we don't start sanctification. We don't start growing as Christians with a to-do list. We start by reminding ourselves of what is truly our identity. Does that make sense? Okay? So we start off by saying, consider. We don't consider very well. We're not considerers. We, we go right by consider to, right? So, so what does he say there? Now, Remember, these are, verse 5, so consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. (coughs) Look at this. Greed, which amounts to what? Idolatry. Isn't that interesting? We we tend to think of idolatry as, you know, statues and, and images that, but what does he say? If I want something too much, that's greed, what does that amount to? It's a worship disorder, isn't it? It's false worship. So, guys, this is one of those places where the Bible connects together wanting things too much and worship. Um, If I want something too much, we learned this in James, so those of you that are with us in James, if I want something too much... That, that overemphasis, that, that overwanting can take on characteristics of worshiping something. Where my whole life is consumed by this. And, and of course, God demands our exclusive allegiance, doesn't he? You shall have no other gods before me, which means I can want something. Maybe it is the Ford F-150 Texas edition 2022 with the wakeboard boat or whatever it is. I can want that so much that it amounts to an idolatry, a worship even, that competes with my 
exclusive, what's supposed to be my exclusive worship of God. So it, it's not it's not going too far to say that we can want things so badly that they become worship issues, according to the New Testament. I look at verse 6. It is because of these things <coughs> that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Very practically here. Let's say that there's something you're struggling with. And you're struggling with this sin issue in your life. And you're like, I know this is wrong and I'm trying to fight it. And, and I've started with by remembering that I'm, I'm dead to that, right? I'm, I'm dead. I've been united with Christ. That's not my identity. You started there, okay? What's step two? If, if you're just, you're fighting this and, and, and your heart does not grieve over this issue, your heart does not hate this thing that you do like you know you should. What's the next step? Well, according to this verse, the next step is to remember that God will judge in hell people eternally for the things that you're doing right now. Whatever that struggle is, that struggle sends you to the lake of fire. It's because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And in, in, a, in a weird sort of way, remembering what your sins deserve is a motivation to not do them. Do you see what he's saying? Because that struggle, that sin struggle that you're fighting deserves the wrath of God, even though you will never see that wrath of God in Christ. Even though that's not a danger, it's not a threat to us anymore if we're in Christ. Contemplating what I really deserve is part of the motivation to not go do it. So when you're setting your iPhone reminder, you know, ding, I'm dead, remember that. Ding, remember this, I deserve the lake of fire for what I'm struggling with right now. And by God's grace, he pulled me out of that fire so I'll never see it. Right? But that's, uh, hang on. There we go. Okay? So, so that's, that's motivation number two, is remember these are the very things that bring God's wrath. Thirdly, even though you once lived in them, now grow and mature. And he's going to give, and, and again, if you're familiar with the New Testament, this is no surprise. He's going to tell us to do two things. Put off and put on. Get rid of and replace. And he's going to call us to put off all sin. And here he's comprehensive. He's talking about thoughts, desires, words and actions. He's going to give us some specific examples there. And then what is he going to say, right? There, there's no trying harder for Jesus. There's no, there's no stop doing that for Jesus. There's only stop doing that in order to replace it with what you should be doing. And this is the key to Christian growth. We remember our identity. I'm dead, right? I'm united to Christ. Remember what I deserve. I deserve the wrath of God. Now, with that motivation, 
Now go put off and replace it. And again, look at the list. Verse 7. In them you also once walked, right? Now put them all aside. Verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self with evil practices. Verse 10. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true... Now, you got to get this part. Pay attention. Then put on the new self, which is being renewed to a what? To a true knowledge. And what's the picture I'm aiming for? In the Christian life, who am I trying to be like? Yeah, see, it's a knowledge which is according to the image of the one who created him, right? In other words, it, we're, we're replacing these bad things with character qualities, desires, practices, ways of thinking and doing things that are consistent with the image of Christ because we're united to him. So it starts with identity in Christ and really it concludes with identity in Christ because that, that's the target of what we're aiming at. Now, now about this time we start saying, okay, so um, if I have to think of myself as being in Christ and if everything I'm trying to do is to become more like Christ, I probably need to get to know this Christ pretty well, right? And, th- and this, is, this is one of those things in the New Testament. I think a lot of Christians say, I know, I know I'm supposed to be like Christ, but here's what they do. They, they dichotomize the character of Christ from the rest of the New Testament. Here's, here's what I mean. They say, I know I'm supposed to be like Jesus, and so they read the Gospels. And they get some interaction of how Jesus talked to people, and we say, okay, that's it. But they, they, they don't realize that the rest of the New Testament, everything the New Testament says about how we ought to live is a picture of Christ. Right? So, so when you read, you know, put off immorality and purity and greed, which amounts to idolatry, uh, d- don't put off anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech, what you're reading is a picture of Jesus. Does that make sense? So, so don't, don't read that list as disconnected in some way, some just random attributes. Read that list as a description of the character of Christ because that's what this book is about. We're, we're, we're making him first place in everything. And the first place that he needs to dominate is our heart. Okay. So, <coughs> uh, so replace them and then finally... Since you have died, you have been given a new self which is being changed to be just like Jesus, right? You're being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal. There's no distinction, right? Everybody's going toward Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a Greek or you're a Jew, you're circumcised, uncircumcised, you're a barbarian, Scythian, slaves, free man. Christ is all and what? And in all, meaning he is the dominant goal, he is the motivating force, he is the image for which we're striving toward. And this is the beauty of the church, right? It's every tribe, tongue, people, and nation reflecting what? The beauty and the character of Jesus. 
So that, that's, that's sanctification 101. That, that's what, tomorrow morning when we get up, that's what we do. We remember we've died, we've been raised to walk a newness of life, our life is in Him, He is in us, and so now we pursue living like Christ by putting off things that aren't like Him and pursuing things that are consistent with Him as we ask for His grace and help to become more like Jesus every day. That, that's my, that's my sanctification definition. It's becoming more like Jesus every day. And that's what uh, that's what this is all about. Okay, put a comma in your notes. We'll come back and finish it next time. Uh, let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for the greatness of Christ that we uh, know and serve. And this book has helped us to just stand in awe of who He is and what He's done. And I pray that tomorrow morning, when we get out of bed, that we will be affected by what we have learned about Jesus. We will remember that we are dead to our old selves, that our life is now hidden with Christ in Him, that we have been united with Him in His life and death and resurrection, and therefore we ought to live differently. There should be a proactive pursuit of identifying ways in which we are not like Him and a replacement with things that are consistent with Him all by His grace, all for His glory, all empowered by His work. And Father, can we just say that we all long to be more like Christ. And thank you you for the reminder today. Help us to move in the right direction this week with Your grace and help. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.